Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with the authors of Frozen for Combat, Quality of Deep Frozen Thrombocytes, produced and used by the Netherlands Armed Forces 2001 to 2021. Welcome, Dr. Femke Norman. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Norman, would you please introduce yourself? Hello. Uh, thank you for inviting me for this podcast and to tell more about my work with the Ministry of Defense in the Netherlands. Um, I'm working on uh, blood transfusion and blood banking since 1998 with the military and with Sanguine I started. Uh, and we started to uh, freeze red cells and later on platelets to use uh, in the military field for our uh, hospitals abroad. So my main focus is on produ- production of frozen blood products, red cells, platelets, and plasma. And past 25 years, we have been using those products in the field. Perfect. To start, can you summarize your study for our listeners? Uh, the study we're talking about is uh, about frozen uh, platelets, and we have been using them since 2001. And from the beginning, we learned the process of Dr. Valeri in the Boston uh, area in the Naval Blood Research Laboratory, and he developed this uh, frozen platelet program for the U.S. military. We learned the process there. We adapted a few uh, minor changes, and we started producing in 2001 and used the products. Um, We started producing in September, and in December, the products were in Bosnia. And the next February, they were used for the first uh, military patient that required uh, platelets. Um, ever since, we were very satisfied with the use of the platelets and performed continuous quality control. And for this article, we summarized all the quality control data we had to study its duration of storage, whether there was a limit to the storage at minus 80. And in the study, we didn't find an effect of long, store, long duration of storage up to 12 years. That's the major finding of this study. So can you walk us through the preparation of the deep frozen thrombocytes? Once you freeze them, how do you prepare them for transfusion? Okay, we start with a apheresis uh, platelet product uh, produced by a sanguine organization. So they draw it from the donor and uh, perform quality control uh, sample for Bactalert. <clears throat> and then the next uh, morning they send the products to us so we can freeze them within 24 hours of donation. Um, when we, uh, the products arrive, we take a sample for quality control, um, add DMSO. So that is a sterile connect a DMSO uh, bag or a bottle with 27% DMSO and saline. And we add uh, approximately 75 ml of this fluid to a approximately 330 ml platelet bag in plasma. Then we centrifuge for about 2200 G for 10 minutes without a break. And then we express all visible supernatant until we see a little platelet movement uh, going up in the bag. We clamp the line and then uh, respend, respend the remaining platelets in the bag, uh, in, the, in the plasma they have, it's about 15 ml, and then we put it uh, in a box on the bottom of a minus 80 freezer. And the next day we move the products to an upright freezer for storage. We also sample the supernatant of the product, 
and the product after addition of DMSO from those three samples, so the pre-freeze sample of the product after the DMSO and the supernatant, we calculate how much platelets we have frozen. So that's the quality control prior to freezing. And when we thaw the products, we can do that for quality control in the Netherlands or for training, or it's thought uh, in the military hospitals abroad. And then um, up we thaw the product in a 37 degree water bath. But before we do that, we already have a plasma in the water bath to be thawed. And that is because the product is only in 15 ml after thaw, and you cannot transfuse that. So we add a unit of AB plasma to the platelets. And the platelets we freeze are only of blood type O. So then we end up with O platelets in AB plasma that can be transfused immediately. So preparation can, time can is then about 45 minutes, half an hour for the plasma, five minutes for the platelets, and 10 minutes to mix the both products. In 2010, we found that, or 12, we found that we could use cold stored plasma also for resuspension, and then the whole process only takes 15 minutes because then you take a cold stored plasma from the refrigerator and a frozen platelets from the freezer and you put them both together in the water bath and after six minutes, seven minutes, you can uh, have the products at both at 30 degrees Celsius. You connect the bags and um, mix and it's ready to use. After thaw, we also take a sample when possible to measure platelets count and those are the post-thaw uh, uh, quality uh, data we have, but it's not mandatory to measure platelet count in the products because we know the product is uh, of uh, stable content and recovery. And then once the platelets and the plasma are put together and they're thawed and they're um, resuspended together, how long are they good and how do you store them? Is it room temperature at that point? Yes, it's just room, room temperature we store it and we usually do not store it. We only prepare on demand. But just in case somebody has to be moved or you're a little bit further from uh, the location where the patient is being transfused, we can store it for at, at most six hours at room temperature. And there are ongoing studies if you can store that in the cold, but that is uh, not clinically tested yet. So there was quite a difference when measuring counts on different hematology analyzers that you had to switch hematology analyzers sometime in the 20-year period. How, what's your approach to handling this difference? Well, at first we were uh, uh, ignorant about it because we, we tested the analyzers pre-freeze with uh, fresh platelets and supernatants and we didn't see a real difference, maybe 1% or 2%. But after thaw, we saw a big difference. And um, so we just kept monitoring for as long as we had the other analyzer to thaw and measure the products whenever we could on both analyzers after thaw. So at least we could look at why this effect occurred and how it would affect our quality parameters. And uh, the surprise was there uh, at first, but later we found that with the new cell analyzer, we were detecting more smaller platelets and compared to the old analyzer. So it's higher detecting uh, levels. So we got a higher platelet concentration and, and sometimes when we had frozen the product measuring using the old analyzer and then after thaw only with a new analyzer, we in, uh, increased the uh, product content. <laughs> so it was 
clear that something was happening there. And then we measured the supernatant of both uh, products with this, both analyzers. And we saw that uh, the supernatant of the frozen platelets contain a lot of particles that were not detected by the old analyzer, but were detected by the new analyzer. So that explains why we have higher platelet counts with the new analyzer. Gotcha. Yeah, it made it look, made it look like you created platelets. So congratulations. Yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm a bit worried because we get a new analyzer by the end of this year. So let's hope we can find a, a nice one that gives us two hundred percent recovery. So one of the things I noticed in the paper was that products that were stored less than six months actually were had less clotting, were less effective. Why do you think that is? Well, they didn't have, were uh, less effective, but they had a lower recovery. Uh, so that was the first sign that it was a little bit different. And um, especially in very short stored units, like uh, one week or a few days. Um, then we found that uh, this concentration was uh, uh, not in the platelets, but used more in the uh, supernatant. So there were less microparticles in the short stored products and maybe also less smaller platelets. So we had a lower recovery because we measured less particles. But when we looked at the tag, we saw a higher uh, clot strength. So when you have a larger platelet, I think in in the tag, you get a a bigger surface with all the receptors. And if you have a bigger surface, then you can uh, logically uh, conclude that the uh, production of fibrin will be larger fibers and stronger fibers. So I, I just think it has to do with the size of the platelets and uh, the in vitro effect in the tag. I don't think it's a, a in vivo effect. Right. So it's actually less recovery, but better. It, they seem to respond better. I get that. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So it looks like from this study, you proved that up to 12 years was fine, that the products were still very effective. Are you looking to go beyond 12 years? Yes, we are. Uh, we still have nine units left that are from produced in 2009. Uh, we're keeping them in the freezer for a longer time. Um, this year we will uh, test our DMSO2 units, I think by the end of the year, for six-year storage. And once we've de- shown that, we will prolong the storage duration uh, or the allowed shelf life to eight years. Now we have four years. When we can demonstrate six years is okay, we will change it immediately to eight years uh, because then uh, we, we have enough stock to show eight years uh, when the time is there. I um, don't know how to explain that easily. When we started to produce the DMSO2 units, it was in 2016, and we still had a, a storage time of four years. Now we know it can be stored longer. so. Um, we have now reserved some units uh, from 2017 to look for longer storage duration. And first batch we will thaw by the end of this year to demonstrate six years. And then in uh, two years, we have enough units to show that eight years is possible. So we can release uh, the units that are eight years old by then. So you mentioned that these products have been used in the military hospitals Um in in areas of combat how have they performed in the military fields 
Well, we didn't find any reason to doubt their effectivity. Um, we could not do a clinical trial in the field. Uh, it's not possible to have liquid stored platelets over there. Uh, like in Afghanistan, it took us five days to arrive uh, with our products in the hospital. So then we would have uh, had to throw the platelets away. So we couldn't do a comparison study or something. But we did compare the product use and uh, our, in a clinical study pr uh, published in PLOS, a retrospective study on the casualties in Afghanistan. And we showed that uh, platelet use was normal for trauma patients. So it was similar to what can be expected with liquid stored platelets. And also we did a clinical uh, in, in vivo test in rats. And there, a trauma model, and there we showed that the frozen playlists were a little bit more effective in uh, making sure that um, the volume is restored. So it seems that clotting is uh, starting earlier when you use uh, frozen platelets. But it remains to be shown, so we are now planning a clinical trial in the Netherlands to compare frozen platelets with liquid sore platelets in uh, trauma patients and vascular surgery patients. So we hope to start this year including patients. That answers my next question, which is, have you used these in hospitals yet? So not currently, but it sounds like there's a trial upcoming. Yes. And what we did show with our frozen platelets in the field was that when we change our transfusion policy from uh, just based on measurement of platelet count in uh, before 2007, and compared to the casualties after 2007, when we introduced a massive transfusion protocol, we improved the survival. We almost doubled survival in the massively transfused patients with frozen blood products. And that's in the article in PLOS One in 2016, we published that. So we continue to have this uh, transfusion policy and then hope to um, show then in the Netherlands that it is uh, uh, as effective or maybe even more effective than liquid stored platelets. That would be very nice uh, if we can show that. How do you think frozen platelets compare to cold stored platelets? Especially, you know, whole blood has made a big reemergence onto the scene. So the platelets in whole blood compared to whole blood that's stored in the refrigerator versus platelets that have been frozen. Well, I, I did some comparison uh, in vitro. And uh, what you see is that uh, in vitro cold stored platelets have a similar uh, clotting strength as liquid stored platelets uh, in tech, and, and that's stronger than uh, the clotting strength of the frozen platelets. However, the, the speed of clotting is faster in frozen platelets, and frozen platelets contain a lot more microparticles. From lit based on literature and the studies by Lacey Johnson in uh, Australia, they also made a direct comparison. You clearly see that there is a, a big difference between cold sore platelets and frozen platelets. Cold sore platelets are, tend to be more aggregatory, have a better aggregation response, whereas in the frozen platelets, this aggregation is almost completely gone. So there is, a, I think also in vivo, there is a difference. And studies by um, Dr. Valeri in the early 80s, 90s, also show that uh, cold syrup playlists have a different in vivo effect compared to frozen playlists in monkeys. So I'm, I'm very curious. I would love to do a comparison trial, but first uh, 
then there should be cold sort platelets in the clinical use in the Netherlands, and that is not at the time. But that would be our next move if we can uh, show that it is equivalent or better than fresh platelets. Then maybe um, if cold sort platelets become popular in the Netherlands, we can make a comparison there too. But for military purposes, the frozen platelets are way more efficient if you can have a freezer in the in the field. And if you cannot have a freezer, then whole blood is the best option. So that's, uh, I, do, I don't think that cold sort platelets are a, a product of choice by the Netherlands military at this moment. Gotcha. So thinking about platelets, the other big user of platelets, especially in a hospital setting, is hematology oncology patients. Do you think there will come a time when we use frozen platelets on those types of patients? Yes, I think so. Uh, it has been in use for those types of patients since the early 70s. Uh, there are countries using frozen platelets for these patients also, uh, uh, or then uh, frozen in liquid nitrogen, so like Poland and uh, other countries with uh, large logistics lines. Uh, clinical trials have shown that there is no uh, clinical difference uh, between uh, both, um, only you don't see a high corrected count increment. But the bleeding stops. And I think that for therapy, the frozen platelets are uh, as good as liquid stored platelets. But to improve a platelet count, then you better use uh, liquid stored platelets because the frozen platelets are cleared relatively fast from the body. So in vivo clearance studies show that uh, frozen platelets have a, a much lower in vivo recovery, but uh, an equal uh, lifespan. Span. So the, the platelets that are not uh, removed from circulation within the first hour, they have a normal circulation time. But I don't think the remo fast removal is a negative side, because I think if a platelet is circulating in a bleeding patient, is it is not working. And uh, it's for prevention, I don't know if it works, but for at, le at least it works for those patients, that's why we use it. But I don't think it makes a lot of difference in treatment when you see that um, the intervals are equal when treating patients with frozen or with liquid stored platelets. Only you don't have a high corrected count increment. So we need new clinical tools to judge the effect of treatment in oncology patients. I think that's a really good point. Circulating platelets aren't doing, doing their job. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah. I feel like sometimes with platelet transfusions, we're treating the physicians because they're nervous about the platelet count more than we're treating. Yes, that's my point. <laughs> it's the same with TAG, or I think you should look at the patient. Does it stop bleeding? And um, and what is the frequency of a, a new uh, required transfusion? Right. But then you need the eyes on the patient, and that's also not always possible. So I think it's not... Uh, better or worse, it depends on how your logistics are. If, if you don't have platelets, the frozen platelets are absolutely better than no platelets. And uh, if you have HLA matched platelets, autologous platelets, all possible with frozen platelets yes. and not with liquid stored. Oh, that's true. That would be a great resource for HLA matched platelets. That's true. Yes. We did meet one patient uh, in the Netherlands. Um, she was uh, having a remission. And she had that many uh, HLA problems that um, they couldn't find a donor for her. And then the doctor said, we cannot give her a radiation therapy if we don't have a donor available. And we started to freeze autologous platelets from her. 
just in case we couldn't find a donor. So at least we had some platelets so she can be irradiated until a donor would be found. And in the end, she was treated and they did find uh, two donors. And she was treated first with uh, the liquid stored platelets from the donor and then later got some frozen platelets of her own and she survived fine. But uh, only having the option of the platelets was already contributing to her survival. Right, because they're willing to treat her. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we've had a few patients like that where we cannot find a donor and we give them random platelets and they just do not respond. And I think it does hold up their treatment. They don't want to give them more chemo. Yes, and this is a possibility the patient can contribute to herself or himself. That's great. So what was the most difficult part of this study? Looking back over these 20 years, what was the most difficult part? To figure out how to present the data uh, and and not getting confused by all the data. It was um, hard to find a common uh, factor to explain what we, what I was seeing because I knew what I was seeing. As, as you are continuing, you find step by step what is happening. But once you have collated all the data, it is hard to make a story of it. That was the, the hardest part, to make a readable story from all those data. That's why the supplement is so ridiculously large. <laughs> yeah. When I printed the paper out, I was shocked by the length of the supplement. So, Yes, but I was because there are no data out there to compare really standardized produced, uh, routinely produced. It's all research. And then I know they are the little babies. You do everything for them and you treat them like glass. But once you do the routine and you train people that never seen a blood product before, you train them to produce a frozen or a thought product, you you don't uh, make them like, uh, okay, this is as easy as a pancake. Uh, but it is, uh, you have to make comfort. So they only get like three units of training and they know how to do it. So it's a, a foolproof method. Uh, and, and that was... Uh, the great thing to do, but also then collating all the all the data and finding uh, if it's not by training or this is the first unit, the second or the third. So all the other things I did not mention to look at, uh, those were the, was the most work because all you found was uh, no effect, no effect, no effect. And you don't have a story. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was the hardest part uh, in all those years to show that the platelets work um, and that they, you can produce them easily and it doesn't cost a lot of money and it is not difficult to ship minus 80 platelets to can, convince others to, to join us in the study. Um, happily, we did teach uh, Australia. Lacey Johnson visited us in 2010. Uh, Miles Bonek from Czechia also came to our lab to learn the procedure. And they all now have implemented, uh, or at least in Czechia, they implemented in Prague uh, Hospital. And um, the Australian are performing clinical trials right now. Hopefully they start uh, using it clinically also after the CLIP trial too. That's great. And I just read that uh, Fitzpatrick and uh, Larry, I don't know if Larry Mondham is part of it, but is also launching a clinical trial in uh, the US. So um, I think there's a paper out now that they are planning a clinical trial uh, in cardiopulmonary bypass patients. Oh, wow. Uh, hopefully then the, the good work of Dr. Valeri, who uh, started this in the 19, early 1970s, and who is an American and a uh, proud uh, serving uh, American, 
who, who used the frozen red cells in Vietnam. Uh, so he's the pioneer I learned it from, and I was also want to uh, extend my grace uh, thanks for him and his work, and also Cheryl Slichter, who also contributed a lot uh, to the field of frozen platelets. And of course, Lacey Johnson from Australia is really pioneering on in the in vitro work. I'm producing for the military and hopefully uh, contributed by this quality control um, paper. But there's a lot more research to be done and I hope more labs will look into it and find a nice in vivo model that is uh, really reflecting of in vivo coagulation. So 3D model with flow and with endothelium and with damaged endothelium and stuff like that. That would be great not to use animals anymore for those kinds of studies, but to have a real 3D model that reflects the patient and not um, just a bucket of blood, which, which is a, a rotem or a, uh, that's just a bucket of blood that is uh, shaken or stirred, but it's not flowing. You know, the thing we struggle with in a hospital blood bank is platelet shortages. And if we could have long stored platelets, how that could potentially change things for us. So it's yes, that's why I'm so happy with this podcast, because I think it is really easy to do with the Demizoe bot. Anyone who can connect two bags and use a centrifuge and express a supernatant can do this. Right. I think that's amazing. It is not rocket science. Yeah. So... Last question. What's next for your group? Next will be, I hope, dried plasma project. And this year we hope to start a project to produce our own dried plasma uh, and do a clinical trial on that. The clinical trial to, to be started in the Netherlands, that's also the next challenge. And my PhD student, Tim Reinhout, uh, to be uh, guiding him through his thesis uh, that is hopefully finished uh, at this beginning of this year. And the next PhD student. So I'm, I'm challenged enough uh, with, uh, and of course, there's a war going on. So maybe we'll be a little bit, uh, no time for research, but then our products will be used uh, for a great purpose. I hope it's not necessary. I hope not either, but it's good to have them and good to have the technology for sure. Yes, and I hope that other countries will start to do this also so we can collect more data and, and help all those patients out there in rural hospitals and faraway locations where now they only depend can depend on whole blood. And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Norman for joining us for this really great discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusions Monthly Podcast. See you next time. Mm-hmm.